What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Abraham saw them. We meet Abraham again here in Genesis chapter 18, and it says that as Abraham was sitting sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, it was hot. It was probably noon or one o'clock, and he's sitting there. Then he sees them. He sees them. It's that man. It's that supernatural divine being. It's Yahweh who came and talked to him all the way back 25 plus years ago. That's the same being. And those other people, they look supernatural too. And I don't know how Abraham could tell, but he could tell there was something special about these beings. And in particular, that one who called him all the way out of Ur, who had talked to him about following Yahweh, that's that same guy. And he stands up and he's like, I've got to talk to them. So he begins to run. And it says there in Genesis chapter 18, verse 2, that he ran from the tent door to meet them. Abraham is desperate to see these men, and in particular, that one divine being who he recognized from years earlier, who had called him to follow Yahweh out of her. He's like, I've got to talk to him. I can't let them go by. Because see, he was worried. He was hungry for God's promises to be seen. And he was tired of waiting and waiting and waiting. And he needed to meet these guys. He desperately needed assurance that what Yahweh had said was going to happen would. See, when he was called out of Ur to follow Yahweh to a land where he does not know. Abraham was 75 when he followed God. And remember back then in that first sermon, God said, if you follow me, I will produce children that number as much as the sand on a seashore. Look up in the sky and guess what? Your heirs, your offspring, the people that follow you will number as many as the stars that you see, millions upon millions. Will you trust me, Abraham? Will you follow me? Well, he was 75 when he left Ur, and now when we meet him again in Genesis 18, he's 99 years old. 99, and guess what? He still had no kids of his own. Nothing. Nato. Zilch. No kids. Abraham had waited over 24 years for God to fulfill his promise. You know, I can imagine he probably began to get worried in his 80s. You know, as you get older, you start to have some concerns. Come on, God. I wonder if he thought, you know, I've got some great health insurance, but once I hit 90, all those co-pays go up. And Sarah, his wife, was also in her 90s. And 
I wondered if she wondered, where is this child of promise? God, I wonder if Sarah's saying, I'm getting older here. I've had no kids. I am running out of time. But you know what? God called him when he was 75. He had no heirs, no children of his own. And God reiterated to him, told him again and again, the child of promise is going to come through Sarah. But they had no kids, and then they hit their 80s, no kids, and then they hit their 90s, no kids. But then to top it all, God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to turn your name, to change it to Abraham. No longer will you be known as Abraham. I want you to tell everybody that you are now known as Abraham. You know what Abraham means? It means father of many. Father of multitude. Father of lots and lots of people. And guess how many kids Abraham had? None. And you wonder, years after that, how did people treat him? Hey, he used to be known as Abraham. Now he's known as Abraham, father of many. Oh, how many kids does he have? Zero. I wonder if people are starting to talk behind his back. Hey, Abraham. I mean, Abraham. Hey, how's that father of many thing going for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that going? And they start laughing behind his back. And, and I wonder, what did Abraham say? God called me and told me to rename myself father of many. And I have no kids. And from 75 to 99, 24 years, Abraham waited and waited and waited and waited for the promises of God to be true. Kids, I just want to encourage you. Sometimes to live by faith means you've got to wait. The Bible is full of waiters, not the people who serve you food at a restaurant, but people who have had to wait. Abraham has had to wait 24 plus years. The people of Israel in Egypt had to wait 400 years to be rescued for God to fulfill the promise to them. They had to wait and wait and wait. But the Bible also promises there is great blessing if you do learn to wait. Isaiah chapter 40 talks about they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Bible talks about the blessings of waiting. You know, one of the blessings of waiting, all you've got to do is focus on God. That's it. There's nothing you can do as you wait for God to fulfill his promise. You try your best. You do everything you can. But at the end of the day, when you've had to wait... All you can do is look to God and say, I trust in you, I trust in you, I trust in you that you will fulfill your promise, that I will mount up with wings as eagles if I just trust in you and wait and wait and wait and wait. Man, I'm telling you, to live by faith means sometimes God wants you to wait because it makes you focus on him and because it teaches you this thing called patience. Nobody wants to learn patience, you know? Patience is tough. 
But the Bible talks about in 2 Peter how we need to build on our faith these various virtues, and one of them is patience or long-suffering. And so God might bring things into your life to say, I've got a promise. You can trust me. I've said I'll be your God. You can follow me. You can put your ultimate faith in me, but I'm going to ask you to wait here. And so Abraham, he's learning patience. He's learning to focus on God, but man, 24 years to wait. And during those 24 years, I hate to say it, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't wait too well. They started to get nervous. I don't blame him. I would have gotten nervous. God said, I'll be a father of many nations, but I've got no kids. And I'm in my 90s and I got no kids. How does this work? And so Abraham and Sarah, instead of trying to trust in the promises of God, they began to concoct their own scheme. You can go study this in the Bible, and it's interesting, some of these stories, but one of their schemes was Sarah told Abraham to go have a child with her maid, Hagar. Now, Hagar was an Egyptian maid that they got when they were down in Egypt, and he was lying his way out of trouble. Do you remember that? Well, one of the people they brought with them was probably Hagar, and Hagar had been a very good maid to Sarah, her handmaid, and had met all of Sarah's needs. And I wonder if Sarah came to Abraham one day and said, hey, you know, the, the people over there, they weren't able to have kids. They had a kid with their handmaid, and then they adopted it and said, that's their kid. And so, you know what, if it worked for them and maybe God wants us to do that, we've waited and we've waited and God says we're going to produce lots of nations out of us, many children. Maybe we should do that, you know? And Abraham probably thought to himself and he's like, I don't know. And Sarah's like, I'm telling you, everybody's doing it. This is normal. It's okay. You go to my handmaid, Hagar. Have a kid with her, and then we'll call it our own, all right? All right, says Abraham. So he goes off. Now, remember, they are desperate to have a kid. And I'm telling you, as a wife, you must be desperate to have a kid to say to your own husband, go and have a kid with my maid. Well, that's what he did. But it didn't turn out so hot because Hagar got pregnant. But then it says in Genesis that Hagar began to get a little uppity. She began to look down her nose at Sarah. During the pregnancy, I got pregnant. I am carrying the future of your whole family. And she began to lord it over Sarah. Well, Sarah got mad and she got jealous and she began to treat her, it says, harshly or unkindly. I can imagine. Hey, Hagar, go take out the trash. Hey, but before you do that, says Sarah, I want you to separate all the plastics out from the paper and then I want you to fold everything nicely. Do it. And I can imagine, hey, I'm pregnant. I don't care. Do it. All it says is the Bible says that Sarah began to treat her harshly and, and Hagar began to get all uppity and there was intense animosity and strife and anger. And some people think it might have even gotten into physical abuse of some kind. But Sarah mistreated Hagar. Hagar lorded it over Sarah. 
Ultimately, Abraham had a child with a woman who was not his wife. And guess what? That wasn't smart. It ended up causing so much trouble in their marriage. Well, guess what? That son was born, and they named him Ishmael. Well, when she did have a son, again, that made Sarah even more jealous because she couldn't have kids. And this was an absolute mess. Can you imagine? Hagar would come to Abraham and say, Sarah's not treating me right, and this is unfair. And Sarah, his real wife, would come to him and say, Look, I can't believe what Hagar just said. And then the jealousy that developed over Ishmael, and Abraham has to come back to this tent every night and deal with this. And oh, what an absolute mess. And all this occurred because Abraham and Sarah... They forgot to trust in God, and they decided to take things into their own hands. And I'm telling you, when we quit trusting in the promises of God, when we quit trusting in the power of God to accomplish things in our lives and just leave it to Him, when we start to meddle and to scheme and start to do things for God, and so I've got to manipulate this, and I've got to manipulate that... Well, guess what? It's going to go bad. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're at a church where you feel like, I've got to get this done for my church. And so you make sure this happens and this committee person happens and I manipulate and scheme. And in the end, I cause a church split. Or maybe you know that you should do this sort of thing over here. And that's what God's called you to do. And so then you go out of your way to manipulate. I'm telling you, it's bad. We always mess up when we scheme for God. Instead, just trust in the promises of God and wait, no matter how difficult that waiting is, but wait. And Abraham went to God and said, hey, is Ishmael going to be the one through which the promise comes? But over and over and over again, God keeps on telling Abraham, through Sarah, I'm going to bring the promised one. Through Sarah, I'm going to bring the promised one. But she's 90. She's old. People stop producing babies once they get that old. How is this going to happen? And he's got stress at home. And he doesn't understand how this physically is going to happen. So when he sees those three supernatural beings in Genesis 18, he is running. Here we are 24, 25 years later at the age of 99. Abraham is running to meet the supernatural being. He was running for his wife who had decided at the age of 90 something that it was too impossible for God to make her pregnant. And maybe Sarah had fallen into despair and here he was running for them both. Desperate to hear from Yahweh. So I can imagine he runs up and he falls at their feet. I sort of imagine a, a slide in the baseball, into the base. So oh, he goes, listen, he comes up to them and Abraham says, please do not pass by. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, it says there in verse three, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. Please, please. And they said, okay, Abraham, let's sit under the shade of this tree and you can bring us some food. We will stop. 
Abraham's like, yes, and then he runs some more. And if you read this passage, there's running all over it. Verse 6, he hurried into the tent. Verse 7, he ran to the herd. And so I can imagine Abraham is running, leaping, hastening, if you have a King James Version, all over this passage. He's running. Why? Because he knows these people are important, and he does not want them to pass him by. So he runs into the tent and finds Sarah, and he says, all right, Sarah, Take your flour out and, and, and make some cakes. Now, you know, we're not talking about chocolate cake, which would be really nice. These are thin pancake-like cakes that people would use to grab the meat. And so it became a way to eat a meal. Make them fast. I can imagine Abraham saying, make them fast, make them well, hurry. And he rushes out the door and then he goes to the field and he finds his servant. And his servant's name was probably Eleazar. He was like the head servant. And he finds him and he goes, all right, we have got to find the nicest calf. So We'll feed it to these three important men. And Eliezer's like, all right, you got to do it now. Okay, okay. And can you imagine trying to wrestle and find a calf, you know? What's it like trying to get a calf to come back in when you're in a hurry to begin with? You know, I can imagine nothing seems to go right. You go left, you go right. I'll try to, when it goes, oh, it's going backwards. Wait, okay, get out the last Sue and, you know, oh, you got me by the leg, not the calf. Oh, I'm, and then finally... They're exhausted. They get the calf. They drag it in. And he says to Eleazar, all right, I want you to prepare this calf like you have never prepared a meal before. Kill him and then prepare the meat with the best herbs and spices. You got that? Do not mess this up. So off he runs and probably checks on Sarah. But first, he probably runs to the men and says, Hey, are you okay? Is the goat milk cool? Do you have enough ice? Hey, everything's good, good, good. Right, right. So back to his wife in the tent. Are the cakes coming along? No, 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 no. Those are too small. Let's make them bigger. Can you imagine? He's back and forth. Back to the man fixing the meat. Back to the men to see if they're okay. Back and forth until all the food is ready. And then he finally, in verse 8, he took butter and milk, the calf which he had prepared. I can imagine him breathing heavy because this was a lot of work. And set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree. He presents a feast for a king. Now remember, they're eating under the shade of a tree. And Abraham was standing. It doesn't look like he was sitting, but he was standing with them. And as the host, he would let them eat. And he would probably converse with them and talk to them under the shade of the tree. But behind them was the tent where some of the cooking had been done. And in there were the women. And in particular, one of the women, Sarah, Genesis 18 says she is standing by the flap of the tent door. And just leaning into the tent door is Sarah. She's listening. She wants to know what these supernatural beings say because she herself is desperate. She's in her 90s. She's still waiting for Yahweh to fulfill this promise. She is old. And again, by her age, women don't give birth to babies anymore. They just physically can't. It's impossible for a 90-year-old woman to give birth. Number one, if she could, it'd be so painful, it'd probably kill her. Number two, the big reason is 
when you're in your 90s, your body quits being able to have kids. So it is impossible for her to have any kids. But God's promised that the child of promise is going to come through her, through Sarah, a barren woman who's not been able to ever have any kids. Zip, zero, nada. So she leans against that tent door, just listening. And then she hears this special being say, Abraham, where is your wife? Where's Sarah? And Abraham says, well, she's in the tent behind me. And then God, probably like I said, the son of God, here in human form. Verse 10 he says, I will certainly return to you again next year. I want you to know that when I return to you next year, Sarah will have a son. <laughs> Sarah laughs. What? Are you crazy? She starts to laugh. There's no way. Doesn't he understand the human body? She probably doesn't laugh out loud. She probably <laughs> wants to. But she just laughs herself. There's no way. Why is Sarah laughing? The man says there in, in verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah's like, oh, whoa, wait, wait. I'm not laughing, says Sarah. No, 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 I w I'm not laughing. And I wonder if she goes out there and says, really, I wasn't laughing. And the man responds with, yes, you were. But I don't see him as telling her off, you know, or yelling at her. I see him more as he's God. He knows her mind. He knows her heart. And Sarah comes running out to say, I wasn't laughing. But I think he gently says to her, yes, you were. And then he says these next life-changing foundational words for a Christian. If you are going to live a life of faith, you've got to claim these next words that God says. You've got to make them part of your life. You've got to memorize them. Because when Sarah comes out and says, I wasn't laughing, I wasn't laughing. And he says, yes, you were. I heard you. You basically think you're too old to have a child, right, Sarah? You know? Then he says this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what he says to Abraham and Sarah. I know you're 90 plus and you shouldn't be able to have children. I know you're 99, Abraham, and you wonder where in the world this child of promise is going to come. And I know that things look absolutely impossible. But is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for me to do? You know, as Christians, we answer that and say, no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But do we live that way? Do we truly live that way, that nothing is too hard for the Lord? When we're faced with some sin that we seem to get defeated by time and time again, is there anything too hard for the Lord? When we wonder, how in the world do we tithe and yet pay all our bills, but I know God wants me to tithe, 
Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Hey, I've witnessed to my friend at school over and over and over again, and he just seems to go harder and harder against the gospel, and I just want to give up witnessing to him. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? But you know what is also really cool about that verse? Is the word hard there? Some people could believe it could also be translated marvelous. Is there anything too marvelous for the Lord? Because we've got to trust in the promises of God that when we face huge obstacles, but we know God wants us to tithe, we know God wants us to witness, we know God wants us to stand up for the truth, and the obstacles seem great, but we trust in God because there's nothing too hard for Him. But you know what? Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? Sometimes we pray for the health of someone, and yet they pass away. Sometimes we pray for parents not to get divorced or separated, and yet it still happens. Sometimes we pray for a grandpa to not die or, or some great financial setback, and yet it still happens. And that's when I want you to hang on to this fact. Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? Because sometimes God does answer no. But he knows by answering no that something more marvelous is going to come along. And that it is more marvelous for him to say no in this situation because something greater is going to happen. Do you trust him? Do you live by faith and trust him that much? That even when he says no to something that breaks your heart, you can still say, is there anything too marvelous for the Lord? Is there anything too hard? Is there anything too marvelous for the Lord? And the answer is no. And that's why we got to keep on trusting. And that's why we got to keep on walking. Because there's nothing that is too hard or marvelous and we trust in the heart of God. Well, a year later, guess what? Sarah was with child. She gave birth. I can't imagine giving birth in your 90s. And when they saw that young boy, you know what they named that child? They named him Laughter. What a great name. Because every time they saw that child, they would then go, hey, it's laughter. And that reminds me of when I laughed at God not keeping his promises. But look, God does. Look at this laughter. Now, we call his son Isaac. And Isaac literally means laughter. And isn't that great? So it comes back to us. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too marvelous for the Lord? The answer is no. And we have got to trust in him. And we have got to put our faith in the almighty God who promises us. Even when he says no, we've got to say he's more marvelous and his ways are greater than mine. I've just got to trust in him. And I pray this week that you memorize that verse, Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard or marvelous for the Lord? The answer is no.
Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you would like to listen to more Baldhead Bible Podcasts, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.